0: Welcome to We Are A.C.H.E. of Massachusetts, a podcast series produced by the Massachusetts Chapter of the American College of Healthcare Executives. This series features educational and inspiring conversations with leading game changers in the healthcare field, offering insight into the challenges of healthcare professionals in the 21st century. Now, here's your host, Jordan Rich
1: hi there we're coming to you from mass general hospital in boston i'm here with dr ali Raja. he is the executive vice chairman of the department of emergency medicine at mass general and an associate professor at harvard medical school along with being a practicing emergency physician he's authored over a hundred peer-reviewed papers and book chapters and his federally funded research focuses on improving the appropriateness of resource utilization in emergency medicine and we're here today to talk about a very important issue those in the healthcare industry dealing with stress, how they're coping, and the impact of burnout. So let's begin with this. How do you define the problem of doctor burnout? How much of an issue is it?
2: In terms of burnout, it's actually being recognized as a real problem. Burnout in the world of medicine is what PTSD was decades ago, an unrecognized problem that one could see the manifestation of but for which there was no real understanding or definition. Now, while we're working on solutions, and we'll talk about those in a minute, at least we understand that the concept of burnout, the concept of not having, of not feeling as though you have impact, of of losing sense of purpose, that is recognized as a problem in medicine, and it hasn't been in the past.
1: Dr. Raja, which makes this even more acute is the fact that These are healers we're talking about, people who are working to help others deal with their stress and discomfort. They're healing others and maybe not themselves. You're absolutely right. The
2: fact is that the ingrained culture of medicine is that your patient's health comes first. That means coming in in the middle of the night to perform a surgery, whether that means 36-hour days whether that means rounding throughout the entire day without a bathroom break or lunch because the patients are voluminous and need to be seen. And that's still very true. But we're understanding that within that context, physicians' health
1: is also very important. So what are the consequences of not dealing with this critical issue?
2: We're seeing this at an extreme in some ways. Physicians and nurses have an exceptionally high suicide rate. Now, that's a complication that's, that's at the extreme end, but it happens, and it happens frequently. We see it all the way down to nursing students and medical students and residents and fully trained physicians and nurses. But on a more common basis, what we see is we see physicians and nurses disengaging from medicine. There are more and more groups out there of nurses and doctors and other clinicians who are looking for ways outside of medicine to live their lives and to earn a livelihood and to have gone through all that training, to have dedicated all that time only to find yourself in a situation where what you're yearning for is something that is different from medicine or nursing. It's, it's tragic. And that's why we're working on it.
1: Well, it's obvious that stressors in medicine involve life and death. They involve disease, health crises in the moment. But I imagine the incredible explosion of information and data and reports and paperwork has to play a big role. Actually, you've hit the nail
2: on the head. It's not paperwork so much now as the electronic medical Mm -hmm. record. But the first part of your question was so important because it's interesting what we're trained for. You're right, the life-threatening aspect of disease, especially in the emergency department, but also, quite honestly, in the primary care clinic where any one of the patients that you see might be a ticking time bomb if you don't do the appropriate history and physical, but also in the operating room, in the, um, in the outpatient clinics, any number of specialties, those patients all may be potentially ill, and so there's stress built into that. But the amazing thing is that's exactly what we're trained for. That's what we went to medical school, to nursing school, to PA school, to NP school for. What we aren't trained in is how to deal with the electronic medical record and to click to get all the information that's necessary in there while still managing to take care of a patient. What we're not trained for is the documentation, the paperwork, staying for three, four, five hours after a long day just to do the paperwork, even though you're not seeing patients anymore. What we're not trained for is meeting statutory and regulatory requirements for patients rather than giving them the care that we feel is best. And so it's all those aspects of burnout that come into play. The patient care, while stressful, is actually what Mm. every physician, nurse, other clinician I know wants to spend their time doing.
1: You know, as you talk about this, I have a little personal knowledge. My sister-in-law is a doctor in New York, and she works very long hours, loves treating her patients, but but spends many an evening well into the night after midnight writing up reports, filling out charts. And it presents quite a burden.
2: Absolutely. And on top of that, it's tough on her family. And it's tough regardless whether or not you're male, you're female, you have kids, you don't have kids, you have other obligations. The fact that the current requirements of medicine bleed into our physician's personal lives so much. And it's not because of the fact that their patients are calling them in the middle of the night or they're making house calls. That kind of thing actually might, might be much more palatable. The, the medicine of decades or even hundreds of years ago was really exceptionally tough. But you had physicians getting up in the middle of the night to go and deliver a baby at 3 a.m. And, and riding through the snow in a horse-drawn carriage. I'm romanticizing it a little bit. But that was all directly related to patient care. That Things that you said, your, is it your sister-in-law?
1: My sister-in-law. Your
2: sister-in-law in New York. Our deal is dealing with now are not directly related to patient care. She's already given the care to the yes, patient. Yes. What she's doing is she's trying to document and she's trying to rationalize it, and she's trying to justify why she did it to the insurance companies that need to pay for it, and that's why she's frustrated.
1: So are we seeing a culture change uh, when it comes to understanding these issues, certainly when it comes to training medical personnel? And also are we concerned enough with the amount of hours that certainly interns end up working, that kind of thing?
2: Things are changing, but interestingly, not as fast as you might hope. And so in medical school, in residency, now the residents that are graduating from programs are coming out fully trained in how to use an electronic medical record because it's all they've ever known. For a lot of our physicians, for a lot of our nurses, for those who went through training and practiced with a paper medical record system, changing to an electronic Mm -hmm. medical record system was hard. And it was difficult, and the additional requirements took their toll For a lot of our residents who are graduating now, it's all they've ever known. And so for them, it's not a tough transition. What is still hard for them, though, is the fact that medicine still takes a lot of time. That hasn't changed. the forty hour workday may not be there. There's residency requirements that limit the amount of time that residents are allowed to spend in the hospital. I believe it's about twenty four hours now. but a lot of work still needs to be done afterwards. So for example, if our residents work a shift in the emergency department that's 12 hours, well, they still have charts to do mm. afterwards. So they're not working clinically, but the next day or the day after that, our coders, very appropriately, because we need to get paid for those visits, are bugging them. Not Bugging's the wrong word. It feels like bugging for the residents, but for the coders, they're very appropriately doing their job to get those 60 charts done for the patients that they saw over the past few days. So the residents aren't spending as much time, but they still have a lot to do.
1: let's get to some good news, the intervention that seems to be working. How are we addressing the challenge of burnout?
2: So the first thing is the simple recognition that it exists. And so for example, with the concept of burnout, there's been a lot of studies done over the past 10 years or so that have talked about burnout, what it is, feelings associated with it. And then most importantly, there are some well-validated tools, surveys that have been used on thousands of clinicians that can help us figure out who is and who isn't burnt out. And there are general specialty understandings of burnout. So for example, in nationally, specialties like OBGYN and emergency medicine are highly ranked in terms of burnout. Locally, that might be different. Here at Mass General, the last time that we did the survey two years ago, our Department of Emergency Medicine was the lowest on the burnout scale. Now, don't get me wrong, one in three of us still ranked as being burned out, but that was the
1: lowest of all the departments in the hospital. What kind of questions? Don't run through the whole list, but I'm curious, what's asked of a physician or a nurse or somebody in healthcare? The burnout questions really focus a lot on a sense of purpose. Are you
2: getting to do what you wanted to do when you went into nursing or medicine or whatever your specialty is? They focus on support. Do you feel as though those around you support you well? Do you feel as though the time that you're spending is leading to better patient care and better outcomes? Or are you doing busy work for hours on end? It's questions like that.
1: How do you, Dr. Raja, and your colleagues here at Mass General deal with the burnout factor. What seems to help you through this process?
2: I think the most important thing is, is finding the appropriate support mechanisms. Here at Mass General in our emergency department, we've done a few things to help. We use scribes. So I've got a scribe who follows me around to every one of the patients that I see. And she or he types up my note. They record my physical exam as I do it. I'll push on the patient's belly and, I can, and I'll say, it looks like you're tender here in the right lower side of your belly. And the scribe is typing tenderness in the right lower quadrant. Mm. And they do my documentation so that when I come out of that patient's room, my chart is almost all finished. And that saves me five, 10 minutes for every patient that I see. And when I see 30 patients in an eight or nine hour shift, I'm saved hours worth of work with that scribe.
1: Any thoughts on what any one of us can do on his or her own? yoga, meditation, uh, practicing better sleep hygiene, et cetera. Am I right that these are all important right now?
2: You are. You're hitting some really important things. Uh, In healthcare, we've found that there are definitely some interventions that can help. The interventions that you listed, everything from sleep hygiene to meditation, yoga, to exercise, to coaching. There was a recent study that came out looking at lifestyle coaching and personal coaching and helping with burnout. All of those things can help on a personal level. But what actually works for one physician or one nurse might not work for another physician or one nurse. So it's hard to say that all of the physicians that work for me, for example, should take up yoga. What is better understood is that systemic interventions that focus on causes of burnout at work, whether that is making more time for patient appointments, whether that's a scribe to help decrease um, documentation, whether that's an AI system, that looks in the patient's history and offers up suggestions of what diagnostic tests we should be doing. Those things help all physicians. That being said, the availability of things like yoga, like meditation, like exercise is definitely important because if they're not available, then the one physician for whom that might be perfect simply won't have that available. But they're not the, they're not the fix that we right. initially thought Understood. they would
1: be. So, Dr. Raja, what message do you have for healthcare executives, many of whom are listening to this podcast, you know, on how to deal with these crucial issues of burnout when it comes to their staffs?
2: two things.
1: The first is simply that having the lifestyle modification
2: interventions is simply the first step. Every hospital is working on implementing yoga classes and spinning classes, and that's good to have available. But the second step is the most important, and that's that you have to be willing to support the resources to measure burnout. Mm. It's hidden in a lot of departments. And having a hospital-wide assessment of how your physicians, your nurses, your other clinicians, how many of them actually are burned out, Quite honestly, it's a little painful, but it's like ripping the Band-Aid off. Once you know that problem's there, then you can start fixing it.
1: And it's safe to say that those not wearing white coats or carrying stethoscopes, I'm talking about healthcare executives, they are themselves susceptible to burnout? Administrative
2: burnout runs rampant as well. And the same problems exist there.
1: Stoicism runs
2: rampant in medicine and in healthcare in general. And so the physician who's burned out, well, you know, she probably isn't going to come forward on her own. And so going out there and saying, I understand that a lot of us are probably burned out. We want to find out how many and who so that we
1: can get help. We have a traditional final question on the podcast that I'm happy to ask you, Dr. Raja. And that is this, what hope do you have for technology to help ease the problem of healthcare worker burnout? There's a couple of things that we've been
2: working on over the past few years that are really going to take off over the next five. The first is the concept of virtual healthcare. So you can order your pizza online. You can have uh, your Uber driver deliver you dinner in the last minute. Virtual healthcare has really started to take it off over the past five years. And for physicians who just, are, just don't have the capability to practice traditional healthcare anymore, for physicians who, who spend a lot of their time in the car running from clinic to clinic, to be able to provide care virtually mm. makes a life a lot easier both on clinicians and on their patients. And I really see that as being an avenue to allow physicians to still practice medicine, but in their own way. The second thing, and I know this is a little cliche because everybody talks about it right now, is artificial intelligence. We have from these EHRs that we've implemented, we have so much data that as we start combing through it, Being able to use that massive amount of data to predict which patients are sick and which patients are not sick, and to decide which tests should be ordered on those patients who might be sick, all automatically and presented to the physician just to verify, that's going to take hours of thought off my plate. And I'll still be the physician who orders them, so I'll make sure that things are done correctly. But to have it all teed up for me would save me a ton of time and is definitely
1: going to help with burnout. Well, you've been so kind with your time and expertise. We thank you for joining us today, Dr. Raja. Thanks for letting me do this.
0: If you're looking to grow your career, then consider joining other leaders in healthcare and becoming an American College of Healthcare Executives member. There are many benefits to joining the Massachusetts chapter of ACHE. You'll be among the leaders in healthcare, gaining knowledge and skill sets that will help you grow professionally and excel at your job. You'll enjoy greater satisfaction and the potential to enhance your career. And you'll be giving back to your profession in positive and inspiring ways. As a member of ACHE, you'll join more than 48,000 healthcare leaders from across the United States and the world who are dedicated to improving healthcare and advancing the profession of healthcare management. Visit ACHE.org/slash membership. That's ACHE.org/slash membership.